0: What's up, y'all? This week on the LBLB podcast, we have our dear friend, Kate Ernst, aka Kate underscore underscore Eli. You're looking for her on social media. And so she is one of our amazing Paragon coaches and a woman of many talents. She has a master's degree in psychology. She runs her own one-on-one nutrition coaching business. And then she loves long-distance endurance training, running marathons, drinking coffee, especially if it's Dutch Brothers. And she's also a dog mom to two very adorable huskies.
1: Hey, welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Live Big, Lift Big podcast powered by Paragon Training Methods, hosted by LCK and myself, Alex Macklin. Thanks for listening in. And we hope you all enjoy the show.
2: Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks Lori I appreciate that intro you you nailed it right there maybe maybe not like loving the long distance running but we do it you know, we, we like mental toughness over here in this corner of the
0: world. <laughs> we're super excited to have you on the show today. And we were hoping to kind of split the episode basically into two parts. And so kind of spend half of it just talking about running, cardio, endurance training, and then the other half kind of talking about all things military and hopefully giving our listeners some tips and tricks when it comes to navigating nutrition, navigating workouts, and just healthy lifestyle in general when it comes to things like boot camp and PT tests and deployment, reserve weekends, you know, just general day-to-day life. So we're super stoked about this because very similar to parenting and stuff like that. It's like, if you're not Physically in that realm, we can always talk generally about it, but it's always really awesome to hear uh, just real life advice, real life experiences from people that have you know been there and done the thing. So super duper stoked! So I would love uh, to kind of start off today's podcast with. Uh, just talking about how you got into running. I think your most recent running endeavor was was it the Disney half marathon or the full marathon?
2: No, we went we went full throttle all 26 miles. So uh, going back to where I started running, I know ne- I was never like an actual runner. I uh, grew up playing soccer and basketball, so running was a part of. You know, playing sports, but it wasn't like I was doing cross country or running track or anything like that. Going to college, I did ROTC, so Reserve Officer Training Corps, which is basically your training to become an officer in the military. So with that, running was a part of our everyday routine, basically. Twice a week, we had PT, so physical training, and that was pretty much all running, just training for our tests that would come and just staying in shape really starting in college that's where i got into kind of running became part of my everyday life and just something i had to do and i didn't love it i'll be honest i still don't absolutely love it but you know it's an activity that is really challenging for me and something i can do everywhere so when i eventually joined the military they sent me to hawaii and one of the things i loved to do was seeing the island from different perspectives. So running, walking, hiking, things like that. I signed up for my first marathon in Honolulu. And I said to myself, every single long run that I'm going to do, I'm going to do it on a different part of the island so that I can see the island in a different way. I mean, living in Hawaii is great because you it's, it's beautiful weather all the time. Right. And you never have to worry about excuses for running. It's always like, okay, well, it's a perfect 80 degrees and breezy and sunny. So I guess I have to go run today. Right. So then it just turned into me doing that and starting to just run races with friends and things like that, just to really get outside more and do something a little bit different. So it it was more of, an act, a fun activity and not necessarily about the the running and being competitive in any way.
0: Did you take your dogs with you? Did you have your dogs at that time? I guess I should back up because I remember you had them in Hawaii with you, but I don't know at what time.
2: I moved to Hawaii. That was my first duty station in the military. So once I moved there, I lived there for about six months, maybe. And my neighbors, oddly enough, we're like, hey, we have these two huskies and we just bred them and we have a whole litter. Would you be interested in, you know, taking one of them? And obviously I'm like, oh, yes, of course, I would love to. And then turns out like when push came to shove, Layla hadn't found a home yet and they were like, yeah, we're just holding out for Layla, you know, we'll see. And I already had Kai and I was like, well, you know, twist my arm. I'll take both of them. So... <laughs> Kai and Layla were actually born in Hawaii. So that's where they are just like the weirdest huskies ever. They love warm weather and hate the snow.
1: Big hairy dogs, like, like big yeah. tooth ball dogs.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah. they're just the weirdest. Like they get in snow and they'll like barely touch their paws in the snow because they hate it. But yeah, they're goofy. But yeah, so that's where I got my dogs. And that's, you know, having my dogs that was where hiking came into play. Like I used to run with them all the time. I had like a cool little running belt and would jog with them. Like they would pull me up the hills and everything, which was nice. But
0: but yeah, (laughs) it was super funny. Laura, that works for us. She has two huge dogs and she lives in Colorado, goes hiking. How do you know how much water to bring for your dogs? Because again, I'm new to this whole like hydrating thing. So especially in Hawaii, (laughs) it's like with it being super warm how much water were you having to carry? And did these become like weighted runs?
2: I was definitely really careful with them, obviously, would only take them on hikes if there was a lot of shade. So in Hawaii, you can do, you know, the landscape is crazy all the way from ridge hikes out in the sun, or in through the forest and things like that. So I'd make sure to take them on those shadier hikes. There were definitely times where we did not take enough stuff with us. And I I literally have pictures of me carrying Kai like on my shoulders, like a fireman's carry because they just like laid down in the middle of the trail. Like, no mom, it is so, it is way too hot for us. Like we can't do it. But yeah, like it would not be strange for me to have a full-size camelback and like two water bottles as well going with that. Just, you know, you never know. You have to p- overpack, especially when you don't know what the weather is going to be like either.
0: This is a great question. What's your favorite running shoe?
2: So I'm a Hoka girl through and through. And (laughs) you know this is like a relatively new thing for me. But Hoka's, I got them actually for my most recent marathon this year. And now I have like three pairs because I can't live without them. I'm literally wearing them right now as I stand here talking to you guys.
1: What do you like about them that you love them so much?
2: I have really small feet. Lori, I know you feel me there, but my feet look weird in a lot of shoes. And one, they make my feet look normal size. And two, (laughs) they're just, I know that's really strange, but, um, and two, they're really light and really cushiony. So one of the things when I've ran marathons before, one of the biggest issues I've had is my feet hurting too much to continue. And like literally trying to recover from that for days having pain in my feet, not, not to the point of stress fractures or anything, but really just having a lot of pain in my feet. And that was something that would slow me down. You know, I would also get a lot of knee pain and stuff like that. So switching over to Hoka's was really helpful for me with hiking. You know, when we would hike, I wore a Brooks a lot of times and those, I will tell you what, they ruin my feet for hiking, like blisters galore and hokas. I've never had an issue with them. So aesthetics and utility right there.
1: How many marathons have you run?
2: I run four full marathons and then a handful of halves and like 10 Ks and things like that. While I've run four marathons, I'm, I'm, let me just caveat. I'm not a competitive runner in any way, shape or form. Like this is for me to just like enjoy things with family or friends and just have a good time. And this most recent marathon was really for me, an experiment of nutrition and just to see what my body needed, what it could handle and, you know, taking those lessons learned and using them with my clients as well. I usually try to run a marathon now, like every other year I was like, really consistent until COVID and then I took two years off so this past year was my most recent recent one but yeah just four of them I mean I don't say just four but yeah four (laughs) do you have
1: four stickers on your car that say (laughs) (laughs) 26.2
0: absolutely not Absolutely not.
1: (laughs) That was the only reason why I Uh, wanted to run a half, because I can get a sticker. I still
0: haven't got a sticker yet. Right? Kate, how long would you give yourself to prepare for those marathons? Like, what was that training time period like?
2: First marathon I ever ran, I was like full blown into CrossFit, doing all the things every single week, training CrossFit five days a week, and then doing my long marathon run on the weekend. And just absolutely tearing my body apart, right? I didn't know what I didn't know back then. That was back in 2017. So I was just, you know, drinking all the Kool-Aid of CrossFit of like, yeah, I can do all these things and just have a good time doing them. You know, I ran my marathon and I went back to the gym Monday morning, the day after that happened, which is like, why, now looking at that, I'm like, why? Why would I ever do that or think that's okay? Um, but somehow I survived. So that you know, I did full marathon training with CrossFit. Then the next marathon that I did was kind of a little bit. I was still doing CrossFit a little bit, but I was more into Paragon at that point. You know, I was diving into some CrossFit workouts here and there, but most of mostly was doing Paragon and full marathon training. So again, that was a little bit better, but still not ideal. So the, the most recent two marathons that I've run, I actually didn't train at all, um, for marathon. I did Paragon training completely. Um, just the physique programs that we do. And I would run, you know, I, I ran a couple five k's throughout, you know, the months leading up to it. And then I ran a half marathon about a month before the actual race and then went straight into the marathon. Now that's having, you know, I've already run three marathons at that point. I kind of knew what my body needed. And this one was the best experience for me because what I had noticed in the past was that my body was so beaten down by the time it was ready for race day I was just so dead. The training is what really hurt me. It wasn't actually the race itself. So this time I was like, let me take the race seriously, go into that full throttle and give it all of my energy. And that was, you know, this was the first marathon I ran the whole way through and didn't stop. Wasn't like walking or anything like that. And just Actually, feeling good. And that is something that, you know, I tell, I've been passing on to people as well. Like, yes, you don't want to just get up one morning and run a marathon. Okay. Obviously. But, you know, there are different ways that you can train for it that don't require you to, you know, do these really long runs every single weekend because I think that can really turn people off to the training itself.
0: How much of marathon training do you think is mental? Because I do believe that, like, part of what helped you be really successful probably that third and fourth marathon is that it's like you have to be okay with just like chugging along and kind of the monotony and especially like you saw you know in our Facebook group with Paragon members and stuff it's like as we started including more and more you know zone two and uh just more cardio stuff it's like people would be like hey like I'm I'm here for this like I I like all these benefits, but like this is really boring. And it'd be like, yeah, buckle in. Like this is where the magic happens, right? Uh, so I wonder how much, yeah, like it, it, do you want to speak any on kind of the mental fortitude? Cause I think, especially coming from that CrossFit priming, you are probably in a really good spot to then put in the work I'm running than maybe you had been if you hadn't been into. Uh, CrossFit style stuff.
2: That's a good point. And probably the main reason I run marathons is to just kind of prove something to myself that I can handle it and that my body can do it and that I do know how to train and do things. And, you know, just it's a challenge that I've wanted to accomplish. And now that I've done it, it's it's something that makes me proud of myself, but also makes me think like, what else can I do, right? Obviously, for some people, running a marathon is nothing. For other people, it's a huge accomplishment. It's something, you know, that you'll never do in your life. And the the mental part of it is for me, obviously running in Hawaii when I was first training, being outside, the landscape that you're running in is great. It doesn't take a lot of motivation to actually get out there and do that. But one thing that I would find is that i would save certain things during my week that i would really enjoy to do while i was running or listen to while i was running and make small incentives for myself to actually look forward to that stuff or you know playing the mental game of like hey you know this weekend i am planning this really big run and then afterwards we're going to go and refuel with x food or whatever and looking forward to that and stacking my runs with something that I actually was looking forward to doing. And that way, I wasn't necessarily dreading the run. It was, I was looking forward to what I was getting from that run. And so playing that little mental game and reframing that in my mind was so much easier or, you know, listening to a really, really good audiobook and being like, I'm not going to listen to this at all during the week. Like this is primarily for my runs. And that way, when I go there and I'm running, I actually am enjoying that and listening to doing something like that. And yeah, the mental part is everything because you always just want to stop whenever you get tired. Right. Like that's how we all are. One other thing that's probably a little sadistic, but like when you run, if you run, if you're doing an 18 mile run and you know that you're going to do an out and back, it is, you know, mentally draining. If you run nine miles out and then you get to the nine mile mark and you're like, well, the only way for me to get home is to run nine miles back. It's like, okay, well, what, what else do I do here? So that was another game that I would like play with myself there is just, you know, teaching myself ways to trick my mind and make it more fun. Because like I said, running has never been something that has just been like cathartic or anything for me. But it's been something that I've been able to like, hey, I can run a marathon. So yeah, I can do this for X amount of minutes or I can sit through this. I can survive this because yes, I've built that mental strategy and that mental fortitude.
0: I love your tip about Picking a direction and running it like that was my number one hack when I used to like, especially when I did my first marathon in college, that was the sauce because it was like, you don't have an alternative. You have to turn around and, you know, go back the other way. So I love that tip of just picking a direction or picking, you know, some sort of route where it's like, yo, you you're here now you got to turn around and get back like that's the song I
1: hate it out and back man <laughs> like every time <laughs> i hit, like if i ran i liked the loop because if i hit the turnaround point as soon as i hit the turnaround point i don't know something in my mind was like okay you stop now and i would stop but like a loop that was that was my i don't know i i think different strokes for different folks cuz i did not enjoy <laughs> out and back
2: no that's really interesting and i think for me, like it would have been easier for me to like quit halfway through if I knew like I had to do another loop or something like that. Mm -hmm. But if I know there's no, (laughs) like it's this or nothing, you either walk or you run and you figure it out. Like that's, you know, that's kind of where my thought process was. And that's kind of like, you know, how I, how I think about running too, when I'm training is like, you know, I can, I can run as slow as I want, but the slower I run, the longer this is going to take. So if I just like pick up the speed a little bit, I'll be done sooner. And sometimes that little like push in my mind, like that'll do it, right?
1: Did you run with people or do you always run solo?
2: No, I have always been a solo runner. Like I I am not the type of person that like gets excited about running next to people because I, I'd rather keep my own pace. And there's nothing worse than someone who is like, if you're not having a good day, and they are, there is nothing worse than being the person that is not having a good day, right? And just being like drugged along by them. Yeah, no, it's it's always a solo thing for me. Growing up, I would run with my dad. Um, and But we would still both like have our AirPods in while we're running and stuff. And it would just turn into like pointing each way of which way we were gonna go. And we weren't actually talking. And I was like, why are we doing this?
1: Every time I ran with Lori... I would die every time i <laughs> heard glory <of> man <laughs> cuz she runs so <laughs> fast and I am slow. How oh, what's your what's your uh mile time? Like what's your like what was your best time in a marathon?
2: In a marathon? Not yeah. great, like 5 hours. So that was like I think like an average of 12 minutes per mile for the oh, marathon and like for for a marathon I was really proud of that, right? But you know that's not we're also like, this is the Disney marathon and like, there's a lot of stuff going on the Disney marathon. So like, don't get me wrong. We're like running and like looking like, Oh my gosh, look at the, like all these things. So it's not like we're, like I said, we're not competing at all. So yeah, it was a nice, like slow pace, but we also, the marathon that I did run, um, I ran with Max, my boyfriend's sister and, we did the whole thing together and we actually told ourselves we were going to keep a 12 minute pace. And we found ourselves actually needing to slow down more often than speed up to maintain that pace. And that mentally was actually really, really helpful for me because you know, we were never at a point where we had to be like, Oh my gosh, we need to run faster and stress ourselves out. It was always like, Hey, we're going pretty quick right now. We're at like a 1030 pace. Like we could probably slow it back a little bit and take our time for this next mile. And that's kind of how we approached it. So setting, setting, not like setting the bar super low, but setting the bar at a realistic pace where even at your worst mile, you could hit that pace and Mm -hmm. then sticking to that the whole time, it's such a better mental game that you're playing with yourself rather than the constantly being like, I need to go faster. I need to go faster, but I'm so tired. I'm, I need this. I'm thirsty. You know, you're just constantly like, cool, we can we can cruise this next mile. We're, we're doing well.
0: Is there like certain stretches where you kind of feel the bus start to fall apart? Because I remember for me, it was right at mile 19 and mile 21 was like, oh, cool. I'm starting to cramp. Oh no, my calves. And, you know, so it was just like this tender balance of like, you would stop, you would like be stretching your foot on the curb for a second, then trying to get back into it. So like, does that happen at the same points or has it just been different since it's been different courses and stuff like that for you?
2: I get to the halfway point and I'm like, wow, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. I am a runner. I like I'm an Olympian and I'm like, I'm going for it. Right. And then usually like 16 to 19, like you said, I'm like, whoa, this was a big mistake for me. I should have never done this. And then, you know, when you get to the last couple of miles, you're just like this this is absolutely terrible. I am never doing this again. This is the worst thing I ever did. And then the last mile, you're like, yeah, I could definitely do that again. Um, no problem. That was great. I love this. Like that was so much fun. What a great time. You know, like your mindset is changing the whole entire time, right? My first marathon, actually, I when I was doing CrossFit full time, I actually really hurt my knee at like mile 15. So like I was just like on and off running, and it was it was just brutal. And this past marathon, it was very, you know, I was feeling lighthearted, optimistic the whole time and it was much easier. But yeah, it's its definitely been different based on the type of training I've been doing too. So I definitely think that made a difference this year.
0: Do you have like a mantra or some sort of like, inch, like encouraging quote, encouraging like phrase that you go back to when things get hard and you start to play the mental game of, Oh, I could just go slower. What if I stop? Like, how do you keep yourself going? What's your, what's your praise?
2: So I don't have anything really encouraging. Um, because I am like one of those people, like David Goggins, who just like, bad talks themselves to like motivate yourself and you're like (laughs) (laughs) you're like you're better than this like come on like things like that like if you ever listen to David Goggins like he like literally I think made a on repeat like he voiced the hate comments on his social media and turned it into like an mp3 recording and would like listen to it and like that's the kind of person that I would be for myself not for like my clients or anyone else like I don't tell people that like I'm the type of person <laughs> that goes to the gym and works out without headphones in and just like just grinds like that's that's me right there so um like for example um every single pt test I've ever taken in the military it's been pouring down raining and I just sit there and I'm just like you're better like you can do better than this like this is come on you can do this and just like yeah, it just I don't know if that works for me. I'm sadistic in my mind for myself, I guess.
1: <laughs> I I'm in the same way. Like when I was weightlifting or I'm doing like a jujitsu or anything like that, I'm talking shit, man.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Lots of swear words, lots of like <laughs> bad things, but yeah. That's that's what I'm going for. Yeah.
1: I would never like say this to other people, but I mean, for me, I'm just I need to kick my own ass. That's it, man.
2: If I'm like in charge of a team or something and cheering people on, I'm like you can do this like you have trained for this like this is your moment here <laughs> but like inside I'm like you are such a little baby like yeah you, like, like you are pathetic bitch. like
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> exactly hey uh it's very common in the running community to see people not just like undereating but what I would like confidently say in in a lot of cases like drastically undereating um even though obviously people are being super active, you know, they're logging a lot of miles each week and so could you talk a little about calorie needs and how much food someone might need to be eating to support their training?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the things that I personally love coaching as a nutrition coach, because it's truly wild to see what the body can handle and what the body actually needs. When you like look up the actual caloric needs of an endurance training athlete, it is kind of mind blowing. Um, so I'll just use an example, like for myself, Lori, we're basically like the same size human being. Like we're very small. I'm like five feet tall, 125 pounds right now. And my normal daily carb intake is not, very much. I'm at like 250 grams of carbs right now, right? On a regular basis. Now I'm eating in like more of a maintenance slash surplus right now. So that's a lot for me. When I was training for the marathon, I was going upwards of 300 or 400 grams of carbs for these training days. And even just a normal day leading up to this. When I say that, maybe it sounds like a lot to some people, but that's actually not even close it's to not being that enough. much. Yeah. And I probably could have went even higher, and that's something that I want to dig into for my next marathon as well. So I have a few clients that are training mostly cyclists and very serious cyclists. I have one female client who's actually going on a four-day biking trip next month, Um, and so we've been kind of ramping up her calories and things like that, and on a normal day, this female client is eating 4,000 calories. And that includes 700 grams of carbs. And like, I'll tell you what, she's losing weight doing that because she's eating enough to fuel her body, eating enough for the for the actual, you know, race and things like that, and actually filling, you know, doing, f- giving her body what it truly needs for that. And I think one of the hardest things for people or just to kind of like wrap your head around is when you when you increase calories like that, you're not necessarily just increasing food, you're specifically increasing carbs because that's what we're using. And that's something that's really hard to do is to just eat straight up carbs. Because if you're cutting, you're like, oh, you're joking. Like eating carbs is so easy. Like I could do that all day long. But when you're actually like, deep in it, trying to eat 700 grams of carbs. Like her and I are trying to brainstorm these ideas. I'm like, dude, just drink a gallon or a carton of orange juice tomorrow. Like if you got to, you got to do what you got to do to get the carbs in and get that like before your race and stuff like that. And, you know, learning how much it actually takes and actually pushing people to do that and pushing myself to do that has been a huge challenge, mostly because telling a female that you're going to eat 4,000 calories is probably one of the most terrifying things that you could tell them, right? With just the way that we think about our body, the way that we think about our food and understanding that if you eat that food correctly and you're using it for what it needs to be used for, you're not going to gain the type of weight that you think you're going to gain. It's not just like eating 4,000 calories of whatever. You're not just eating to eat you're actually eating to fuel an activity and you're eating to make your metabolism work and like actually fuel your metabolism to do what it's supposed to do and thinking about it like that you know and thinking about training for perf- or eating for performance has been a huge game changer for a lot of the people that i work with and something that i'm even learning myself i even tell them i'm like hey I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you to eat 700 grams of carbs. And I just want to see what, how it goes. And they're like, yeah, I trust you. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. And you know, it's, they're feeling great during their rides. They're, they're actually recovering and figuring out that like, Hey, you know, maybe it's not just about, you know, when I'm training for this, this isn't like a weight loss activity or a fat loss activity. I'm actually training to perform in this event. And that's been the biggest game changer for me, both as a as a runner myself and just as a nutrition coach too.
0: And how many people, for some reason that goes hand mm-hmm. in hand and I don't know why, but it's like, it's not even like, oh, I'm going to train for a half marathon. Oh, and I want to lose weight. It's like, for some reason you, you will, you'll get clients and it'll be like, hey, so I really want to lose weight. So I decided to sign up for a marathon. And you're like, wait, what? Because they're two polar extreme activities, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I love the encouragement because, yeah, you know, it's like, it's not that you can't do both. We just like, can we not do them at the same time?
2: Understand myself too, coming from, like I said, the CrossFit background where I was just doing all the things and not eating enough by far and also trying to way like train way too much to now where I'm just like, oh man, like I ran three miles yesterday. I better take two days off. Like I don't, I don't need to do anything. Like my body's got to recover, you know? And like just thinking about the different ways that I have approached things and realizing that the more I the more I focus on the recovery aspect in terms of both rest and food, the better my performance and the better my body looks too. You know, that's that's like a huge thing that we don't think about because it's always like, oh yeah, I just I better keep doing more because that's going to get me here faster, but really, when you do less, that tends to get us there way quicker and way more efficiently too.
0: What do you do if clients are resistant to eating more food? Because obviously, you know, it's not like you're taking somebody from eating like zero food to drastically more food. You know, we're slowly dialing them up, but What are some strategies for you to kind of help your client navigate through the body image side of stuff or the definitely like the mental roadblocks of, hey, well, actually, maybe not. So one thing that I do for
2: endurance training athletes specifically, especially if they're not eating enough, coming into working with me or whatever, and they're saying, hey, yeah, this is this is kind of what I eat on my on my ride days or my run days. I just kind of don't track and I just eat whatever I want. And then I go, and then I just go right back into my macros. And, you know, that's, that's definitely an approach. Um, But what I will try to do for people is start by adding calories on the actual day of their big event or their big ride. So most people will do like a big run or a big ride each week. And I'll say, okay, cool. We're going to increase your carbs on that day to X amount. That's going to be our biggest intake day. And then we start with that for a few weeks and they start feeling like, okay, cool. Like, I feel like I'm having more energy on this day. And then we start adding more carbs to the day before the event too. And we slowly work on that for a couple of weeks. Then we add them to the day after. And then we slowly build in general. And then you know we'll add more carbs throughout the week. And then we'll add more carbs to those those recovery and prep days. And then we'll add more carbs to the big, until we get to the point where they don't even realize that they've increased carbs so much because it's just been this gradual process that they're feeling. And I also think that helps with a body image side of things because you're not going zero to a hundred right away. You're actually, you know, you're gradually working on that and kind of similar to like a reverse diet in a way you're slowly teaching them that, Hey, look how good you can actually feel when you are properly fueled and properly recovered. And that's usually once we get to that point, they're like, I, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I think I need to eat this many carbs every day, actually. And then, you know, you start convincing them of these things, but you also get to a point where they're eating a lot. It becomes a full-time job. Like eating 4,000 calories in a day is not something that you can just do. It takes some serious prep work. It takes time. It it's a big grocery bill, dude. Like you don't just eat 4,000 calories a day and just like wing it. Right. So that's been something too that I've been telling them like, Hey, this is also a temporary phase for you. You're not going to be eating 4,000 calories a day for the next year. Right? This is just for this specific training period, which is what 3 or 4 months that you're going to be building up to this and after that's over, hey, we can go back to figuring out what your actual lifestyle is going to look like because it's not this. This is for a specific event in your in your life a temporary phase and then we move back to okay, what is my maintenance? What is my actual true lifestyle look like?
1: With the amount of carbs that you have people eat, um, how do you figure out Kind of what the limit is for them um, is it by their by their preference per person or yeah like how do you figure out like how much carbs they should actually be eating
2: so when I get a client in the first place like any client, I usually don't use a TDE calculator or anything like that I ask them to track their macros for one to two weeks and then I base their first like set of macros or whatever we're gonna go with for tracking off of what they're already eating and kind of get them close to that so we can ease into tracking, right? And then eventually we start making edits based on how their body responds. So I use the same kind of approach with an endurance athlete, except, you know, I will bust up the carbs pretty high depending on what what that's looking like gradually. Um, And what I'm looking for is for recovery metrics like especially the day of the ride or the day of the run and the day after that and seeing how how they feel on those days because a lot of people if they're not recovering properly or they're not fueling properly, you can't sleep after that big event. You know, like you feel like trash. Like you're, if you do get sleep, like you're going to wake up in the morning and just still feel like super groggy and terrible and like sore. And if that's happening, I know we definitely are not at the limit yet. And we're going to keep increasing until those days of sleep get a lot better. That's usually like the, the top metric that I'm looking for, right. As the first thing, but also, one thing that I'm trying to balance that with is digestion. And that is a huge thing that turns people away from wanting to eat this much food because a lot of us are so, we have it so ingrained in our mind that like we need to eat vegetables and we need to eat fiber and we need to like make sure that we're getting all these whole grains and stuff like that. And like, yes, that's really important for other phases of life. But when you're training for performance, I need you to eat 700 grams of carbs And if you're eating 700 grams of carbs and eating a lot of, like, that's going to put you at like 100 grams of fiber if you're still eating all of those whole grains. Like, that is not where we want to be. And you're just not going to feel good. So trying to figure out how to balance, hey, I need you to eat this much food, but also I need you to do it in a way that you can actually like move and you're not walking around with like feeling like your gut is full, like sloshing around during your run or anything like that. Like we, we do not want that. And that's been something that, you know, one, I don't necessarily change the carbs for that, but what I will do is change the protocol of the actual carbs that we're eating and changing up, like, Hey, can we turn some of these food calories into liquid calories? And can we eat more food earlier in the day or later in the day when you are more hungry and things like that and playing around with what the calories look like rather than trying to like, okay, well, since it didn't work, let's just cut them all back. Like, I know you still need them. So let's figure out how we can make them work better for your digestion.
0: What are some of your favorite carb sources or like go-to Carbs, And this can also be like race related or not. I'm just <laughs> selfishly. I always love you. It's like when we asked Tiana, she was like, yo, I'm here for like breakfast cereal and stuff like that. So uh, you can answer it both ways if you want of like when I'm running and just, you know, for me as a person.
2: Um. So like I'm a big Pop-Tart person when I am okay. training for like races and stuff like that. I, I love a good pop tart. Um, and that's just like a nostalgic thing, but I also just, I like things that are super easy and portable too. So like bananas are always my go-to. Like I always do that starburst. I literally will run a marathon with like a whole sleeve of starburst in my little like running pouch thing. Um, and that is like my go-to for just like a quick, like, like a little sugar boost right there. I don't really like the goo and stuff like that. Like it's fine, but I'd rather just like (laughs) eat a Starburst because (laughs) yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But also with a Starburst, it takes like two minutes to chew those. And like, that's an activity that can (laughs) distract you while you're running. And that's a great like thing to do. I will say that um, in the Disney World Marathon, I, (laughs) this is terrible. I ate five bananas throughout the run because they were giving out bananas. And I was like, I need to keep eating because I'm not going to like, I got to keep going. I need this energy or whatever. And that may sound crazy, but like a banana is only like 22 grams of carbs. So like that probably wasn't even enough. And here I am just like running with this huge banana in my hand, like the whole time, you know, and then just like chucking the peels, but you know, but yeah, so bananas, pop tarts and starbursts, That's where I'm at.
1: Do you ever get any like, um, like GI distress while you're, while you're running? Like, have you ever encountered that? And how do you deal with that?
2: Yeah. So this past marathon was not a good experience for me as far as like the bathroom situation. I won't like get into that, but I think, um,
1: (laughs) Get into it. I was like, get
2: into it. It was just, it was an experience. I'll say that. Um, but I think the problem with that was, leading up to it, we were in Disney world and we went to Disney world the one day and I'm looking for like carb sources, but like that is not happening in the Disney parks. Right. So you're just like trying to get calories in the day before that we went out to eat a couple of times. Like we were, we did not plan very well the night before. And I ate like a huge sub and that just just that was left on the course. We'll just say that much. Um,
1: (laughs) Should have went with the churros though.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Um, But no, I have definitely had issues with that often. And I am like, my digestion is very, very important to me because it is wishy-washy. I can never be very like, you just never know what you're going to get. I'll tell you that much.
0: I have two follow-up questions because I'm emotionally uh, invested here. (laughs) Favorite brand of Pop-Tarts?
2: Favorite flavor is frosted strawberry or okay. brown sugar cinnamon. Yeah, it's it's about the nostalgia for me. And it's something that like okay. is, you know how I said like the incentive piece, like if I'm going to go for a really long run, I know I'm going to eat a Pop-Tart. So that's going to like get me excited about it because I'm like, yeah, today's my Pop-Tart day. And like that, that gets me amped up. And it's not something like Pop-Tarts are not something that like I... I don't buy. They're just something that I save for running so that I can look forward to that and like marry those two things together. And it's like, oh, cool. I get to, I'm running today. I get to have a Pop Tart. Like that's, that's a good little like booster for me.
0: Do you want to throw up in your mouth a little? I'm about to tell you something about when you're going to die. Are you ready?
2: Yeah, I want to hear it. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) when I trained for the Chicago Marathon, my Pop-Tart food was Red Bull. So I literally, in college, I loved Red Bull so much that I would do the same exact thing of like, Oh, well, I mean, I guess I can run, you know, 10 miles today because I get a Red Bull after. Oh, okay, Red Bull. So my my Pop-Tart, your Pop-Tart situation sounds a lot better than like me getting amped up over some liquid aluminum in a can. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Did you did you drink that like before the run or after it? After. So that it's it, because it's same thing. It's like, <laughs> as I would get to the end, you'd be like, I am Forrest Gump. I'm running so fast because, oh my God, chug, chug, chug. And now present day, I'm like, that is disgusting, Lori.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's aggressive. That is like, does not sound refreshing <laughs> at all. <laughs> all
0: right. Second follow-up question was, Starburst, are you also a classic kind of girl? Or mm-hmm. are you messing with like the tropical flavors um, no, I'm always classic and
2: I only eat, get ready for it, yellow and orange.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> the yellow? Everybody is currently leaving
0: the podcast, exiting the right? like, room. <laughs> no, I like think about it. I
2: am, gotta- I am the best person to hang out with because I will eat those. You can have all the pinks and the reds.
1: I don't know though, man. I'm you gotta. I feel like hanging out with you. If you are liking the yellows, you gotta keep one eye on you because
2: <laughs> I know, I know, you right. might be stabbing just, me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They're just like refreshing, and that's just it. it does it for me? <laughs> I'm thinking about yellow starbursts right now. <laughs>
0: Last question I had on my end, and then I think Alex had a few. Uh, If you knew that a client or just a friend reached out to you and they wanted to sign up for some sort of race, or maybe even just like, you know, kind of do one of those couch to 5K programs, uh, whether it's a shorter distance or even something as long as half marathon, marathon, what is your go to running program? Or do you have a go to like running coach or person that you love following? you know,
2: look for something that's sustainable for you. I always try to find something where you're running at least, you know, once during the week and once on the weekends, um, doing like a shorter run and then a longer run on the weekend, depending on what your other training looks like too. Like if you're not doing anything else, then sure. Like maybe you run a little bit more, but I'm always super cautious to tell people that too much training is just as bad as not enough training. So depending on like who you are and what your background is, that's kind of where I would start with them and just be like, Hey, what is your current training routine look like? And what a, what kind of, time are you willing to put into training for this marathon and how long do you have right and those are big questions to ask people and then you know a lot of a lot of my friends I just had a friend reach out who was running a half marathon in a month she's like hey yeah my training's been good but I really want to work on my nutrition like what what do you think I can do and like with that I always tell people like hey, don't, don't change a lot leading up to a month before your half marathon or whatever running event. But one thing you can do is really work on your pre and post-workout nutrition. And that's always like, I have a little go-to like write-up that's like, hey, here's what you should eat before you're running a few hours before the day of, you know, the night before things like that and what you should be eating after. So that you just like, that's one thing that you can tweak with like just a few days or a few weeks before the the actual run that can actually make a big difference for you. So like, honestly, it's really dependent on the person and what their background is and how much they've run before. Because honestly, like, I'm, like I said, I'm not like a big runner type person. I know what works for my body and I know what I need to do to be able to train to do these things at this point. So I've worked on that for me and people just need to figure out what works for them and their lifestyle because you can't tell someone to be like hey yeah you need to run like i would say you know you're going to do a long run every single sunday and they're like well i go to church on sunday mornings and then i have brunch and then i do this so like how do i make that work and it's like okay how about saturday mornings and they're like well my kids play sports and i have to go do that and i'm like okay well then we got to figure something else out so there's there's a lot of variables with that and yeah i don't i don't follow any like big running things because I like to not think about it when I'm not training for a run. Um, but but yeah, it's just it really depends on the person I would say, and I know that's a lame answer.
1: I had a question actually because you were mentioning too about like you know client uh, you know losing weight and then but you are I think right now you are doing a bulk. A lot of people who train endurance they have this concept of like racing light. Um, and like being at a lighter body weight and they want to... And I, I encountered this a lot with people. They, they like, hey, I want to lose weight because I have this marathon and stuff coming up. What's your... What are your thoughts on that in terms of like, you know, this notion that maybe you need to race light?
2: It really depends on what your level of competition is um, and what your body feels most comfortable in. I think, you know... I personally don't perform my best when I am in a depleted state. And in order for me to run light, I have to be in a depleted state. And I know that's not where I'm going to perform my best. So, you know, when people come to me or they're saying things like that, like, hey, I do want to be light because, you know, I have a lot of people in the military that'll be like, oh, my PT test is coming up in two months, that means I can't eat for the next two months because I got to be really light on that day so I can run faster. And it's like, well, wouldn't you rather be able to run hard and strong and feel really good when you finish that rather than you get to lap four and you're like, I'm so hungry and thirsty because I've depleted my body. And that's kind of what I want people to get at. And, And sometimes you just It's hard to convince people of that too because it's so ingrained in our minds that like runners are supposed to be these like skinny people, but actually, good runners are freaking strong. Like, and that's something that I think we don't really, yes, they're skinny, but like they're all muscle. And if you want to race light, you have to have that muscle on first. And I guarantee if you need to run a race in the next three months and we try to lose. 20 pounds, like you're going to lose a lot of muscle too. And you're probably just going to be skinny and you're not going to have that strength that you need to really push yourself through that race.
0: Out of curiosity, Kate, because, um, you said you're five foot, right? I know that you're shorter than me, but so, um, do you find for yourself personally that there are certain body weights for yourself where, running feels better because what I was thinking about with all this with like the racing light discussion is that you know over the years my body weight changed and so it for me it was like there were certain body weights where if I weighed a little bit more and I mean like 10 or 15 pounds more type thing it's Mm -hmm. like my joints would hurt and it like just every foot that hit the pavement, I would be feeling it and stuff like that. But then reversely, it's like, I've definitely kind of dialed in my sweet spot of, you know, where my body weight is, where it's like, I get the best of both worlds. And it's like, I feel really amazing when I'm running. I can recover well, whether it's running or strength and stuff like that. Um, Do you find that with yourself as well, especially being even more tiny? Because I would assume that it would almost be like tenfold. I
2: have never correlated my weight to my performance in running, because I always correlate it to my training in running. So if I have been running consistently, I am always going to be a little bit leaner than I would be if I wasn't running consistently. So my, I haven't thought about it necessarily as weight, but more of just the way that my body feels and the the leanness of my body in a way. Um, so kind of if I'm running often, I feel more comfortable when I'm running. And I feel, you know, that's if I am conditioned, I would say. I've never necessarily said like, oh yeah, when I'm lighter, I run better because it's not necessarily true if I actually haven't been running. So if I've been running, I can notice a definitely a difference. And sure, when I am running, I'm definitely lighter because I'm putting in that extra activity, right? And it's just, it's naturally leaning me out, right? And during this surplus, you know, I took my PT test last week during a surplus, my first time running at elevation, and it was not a pretty sight at all. I felt like a little meatball rolling down the track and it was terrible, but... I was like, you know what? I also haven't been running at all and I haven't really been trying to like be in shape here. So who knows what I could have accomplished if I would have actually, you know, like did my normal training plan. But at the same time, like that's not part of my goals right now to be able to run a fast mile and a half. My goals right now are to gain muscle. So it was what it was. I just had to get through that experience and be done with it. But yeah, I I definitely noticed that when I'm training for running and I've been running for maybe like, you know, a month, Consistently, I'm definitely leaner, um, and I feel more comfortable running. As but like I can run in every weight; it doesn't necessarily hurt my joints. It's just not a fun experience while I'm in it. If that makes sense.
0: No, you like crush that completely. I I totally get that with your clients that really have performance goals. For hey, I want to be running these long races or that sort of thing, do you try to encourage them to strength train, at le- like even if it's just once or twice a week? Because I think that is if there's like the secret sauce for being a really phenomenal, badass runner, like lifting plus running, that's the cheat code for sure.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I do myself. And even if I'm not you know, actually running consistently throughout the week. I still make running part of my general routine and I'll do it, you know, every so often here and there, I'd say like two to three, maybe four times a month. I will make sure to like do something like I'll do my zone two as a jog or something like that. It's not an easy experience to do zone two as a jog, but if you can figure it out, it's like, it's a nice, like casual pace. Um, but, but yeah, when I, um, When I tell clients like if they want to do something, I will usually say like, hey, we want to see at least two days a week, um, depending on how your training schedule looks, because you're obviously prioritizing that, you know, endurance training. But we want to see like at least two days a week where you are getting some strength training in there. And maybe that looks like, hey, I found that when I'm lifting lower body and doing my cycles the next day, I'm having a lot of trouble. So, okay, how can we realign your training program to be better fit with that. Or maybe we just don't do leg days every single week. Maybe we just sprinkle those in here and there and make sure that you're pushing it on those bike days and things, you know, like making that program fit what they need, but then also leading up to the actual race, you know, when we're like a month in, I just had this conversation with my client this morning, we're about a month out from her race. You know, we're definitely cutting back on strength training. But we're still doing it once a week. So it's still part of the routine and part of that process. But like, you know, she's ramping up the biking. So obviously, we need to prioritize something else. And that, you know, that's how it fits. But yeah, I would, um, if you're not strength training while you're also trying to train for an endurance event, I think you're just leaving so much potential on the table.
0: What made you decide to enlist slash what inspired you to join the Air Force?
2: not, not really a long story. My grandfather was actually in the military for 38 years. And, um, so that was kind of a part of my family in a way we didn't talk about it a lot, but it was definitely part of my family, you know? And, um, we knew he was like a pilot and this and that, and he was in the air force. And when I was a senior in high school, And I was applying to colleges, I guess junior year, you apply to colleges whenever it was. But um, I was just trying to figure out like what I wanted to do with my life. And I had no idea. Um, And it became very abundantly clear that like college costs a lot of money. And, you know, I could get it paid for by the military if I wanted to do the military thing. And kind of on a whim, I decided to apply for a scholarship uh, with uh, ROTC, which is like the college program that you do. Um, And I got a scholarship for a full ride to Penn State. And I took it and ran with it. And here I am, eight years later, um, still riding those coattails. But uh, yeah, so really just <laughs> really came from my uh, grandfather initially as it being like something I could do. Um, But I never really thought about I never thought about specifically like enlisting after high school or anything like that. It was really for me just a way to pay for college and just do something that I thought would be really cool. I really wanted to do it because I wanted to travel too. Once I learned that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to live overseas and like do all this cool stuff and travel the world. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm into this.
0: Kate, let's talk a little bit about boot camp. And one of my, what might, it seems silly to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is the boot camp that everybody goes through the same, whether they're Air Force, whether they're Navy, Army, is that all like the same standard of boot camp? But like, what is it like? How long does it last? Where do you go for it? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, sure. Um, No, so it's
2: different for every single branch. um, And it's also different for officers and enlisted. Um, So what I did is totally different than Every other person except people that went through ROTC in college. So my quote unquote boot camp, if you would call it that, um, I'm sure people are gonna listen to this and call me out, like, you didn't actually go to boot camp. And I'm gonna be like, Yeah, I know I didn't. I went to something way <laughs> easier and sillier, but um still I, you know, it's different for every single person, and every single person's experience is totally different. So my personal experience, you know, and like generalizations. My quote unquote boot camp like I said was 28 days long whereas for someone that's enlisting like right out of high school or something would go for more like 6 months. So that's definitely a huge difference there. Um but the trade off is that I'm also doing, you know, military stuff in college for 5 years. So like who got the better deal there? I don't know. You can we can argue that later. But um you know, my My training and a lot of other training is very interesting because you literally have no control over anything. Like you, your schedule is built for you and you don't know what that schedule is. And I think that's one of the hardest things to deal with, you know, especially just like thinking about like me thinking about it now, I can't even imagine going and doing that right now. Um, but back then it was just like, Oh yeah, this is just a part of my training that I have to do whatever. I'm just going to go stand in this line and get yelled at for 28 days and like sleep in a tent and that's fine. And it was great. It was a good learning experience. But as far as, you know, like train, like, you know, people will come to me and be like, Hey, I want to, I want to get in shape for like, training or like for boot camp or something like that. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah. But like, once you get there, all of this goes out the window because like, I can't emulate the stress that you're going to feel. And that's something that's like, I think is huge about that. Like not having any control over literally anything. You don't even have control over your food. Like I literally ate rice and corn for 28 days because I could not stomach enough food to actually like eat without getting terrible digestive distress. Um, and just like little things like that, you know, controlling like when you can go to the bathroom, like when you can do basically anything, you're not making any decisions for yourself at all. And it's just constant stress environment. So yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to really describe to someone unless you've gone through it yourself.
1: I actually had a question too. I mean, maybe we'll, we'll talk about um, the PT training. Um, because I mean, that's a big part of, um, you know, obviously basic training and then continuing in to be in the, in the armed forces. But like, yeah, I mean, do you still, you still have to do PT training? Like, what's that, what's that about? Like, what's that look like for you? And yeah,
2: I'm going to caveat everything with like, this is my experience in the air force and for me and like the reserves now, um, in the national guard. And it's very different depending on your job. Um, and the squadron or the unit that you're a part of. So for me, um, my job was not a physically intensive job. So you know, my most of my people are sitting at desks all day, looking at computer screens, very very focused in and you know, we have a specific set of skills that we're focused on that don't require us to need to be able to run really fast or do a lot of push-ups, right? So with unit PT, it was more of a morale event and something that was fun for us to get together and We would run, we would play sports, we would do things that were actually like, you know, it was a a good time. Um, And then your actual PT test that you would train for, like I just had mentioned earlier, um, that's something that you take once a year or every six months, depending on your score. And that's where, that's like the standardized test of like for the Air Force, it's running a mile and a half, doing a minute of push-ups and doing a minute of sit ups. So that's something that, you know, is different than the actual physical training. Now, when you're in the army, like some of my clients in the army, they're doing PT every single morning and rucking with a 50 to 100 pound backpack um, and doing that and training that way, which is something I have never experienced and probably one of the main reasons I didn't join the army um, because (laughs) that is just like not that is not for me I am not good at that kind of thing Um, but you know it's really dependent on your job and what you're doing and also really dependent on your branch. Like I know everyone makes fun of the Air Force for being the chair force and stuff, but like
1: <laughs> have you seen truly, the memes like with of like course. The, the different for the different branches?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like it's it's pretty true. Um no, but seriously, <laughs> you know, like there are jobs in the Air Force that sure require a lot of physical training, but like most of the stuff that I've done has not required that. So really training for PT is something that for most of the people that I've worked with. You your PT test is coming up once a year and you literally run for two months of the year, the two months before your PT test, you take your test and then you don't run again the other 10 months. And you just keep cycling that over and over and over again. And you, you do pretty good because that's just like, you have your system in place and that's how you do it. Like people, oh yeah, I got my PT test. So I'm not drinking alcohol for the next two months. And it's like, this is really how you do it. Like, wow, that is impressive. But that's, that's just kind of how it goes. And, you know, I think people sometimes think the military, I mean, in my experience is like people that are like rough and tough and in shape. And yes, there is that side of the military, but like the side of the military that I'm from, that is not the case it is like the nerds coming in, doing the work and like digging into things and like finding stuff and like, all that stuff, and they do not need to do push-ups. If my people are getting yelled at because they can't do push-ups, that's fine with me. Um, so that's just kind of like a different perspective, I think, that people don't always think of when they think of the military.
1: But but what happens? If, like you have the PT test, like you're you got to pass it, right? Or what happens if you fail it?
2: Oh yeah. If you fail, it is, it's not a good thing. Um, you can get, you can get kicked out for failing the test for sure. Um, so they, but they do have some, you know, standards set in place where if you do fail, you can try again sometimes. But like, if you get a certain amount of failures, then you get kicked out in Mm -hmm. some circumstances. Um, which I mean, like when it comes to the military, there are standards that you have to you have to fit into the uniform you have to be able to do the PT test and you have to be able to do your job. Like those are basically the main things. And then like pass medical exams, but like those are the main things. The PT test is one of the biggest parts of that. So yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. I get really, really stressed about it, even though I know every year I'm going to do totally fine. But like you ask anyone, even the people that know they're going to get a hundred, like, you're freaking out the night before because you just never know. You never know if your counter is going to screw screw you over or like you're going to fall or like, <laughs> like who knows. And that is your test that, you know, sticks with you the entire year. It goes on like your performance reports, everything. So it's a big mm-hmm. deal. And I can see why people, you know, have those standards for themselves.
1: Yeah. I have a follow-up question for that because I coached people in the military. And I'm sure you have too. And you're in the military. And, and I know they have like, Body standards like weight and height, um, all that kind of stuff, um you know based on being like I, I I'm not actually quite sure how it's what it's based on, but I know that they have like standards for like weight, and I think they recently changed, yeah like I'm not A quite sure bit. I think they recently yeah yeah, yeah what are, what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on that, especially for um you know women like what are your thoughts on this on these body standards?
2: So yeah, that's definitely been a controversial topic, especially when it comes to uh, women who get pregnant and then have their kids and then they're postpartum. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into how your body changes, obviously, and the things that you're able to do. And like, when you're able to come back from that experience, like childbirth, and then when you're expected to take a PT test, right? And, you know, the Air Force uses all of the standard processes that they've always used of like using BMI and things like that. And, you know, that's not always the most accurate thing. They've actually recently changed it to um, not using the BMI anymore, I don't think, but they're doing like a different like standard of waist measurement, at least for the Air Force. Um, So that's been something, you know, that people, that's a big deal for people because that actually used to be part of our PT test. You had to go in and like, literally get your waist measured and you got a score for whatever your inches around your waist Mm -hmm. were. And now it's kind of just like a separate thing from your PT test because, you know, it was getting to the point where like people were failing their PT test because their waist wasn't small enough, but then they would Pat, they would get a hundred on the run and the push-ups, And it's like these, these standards don't make sense. Right. So it's just, it's interesting how that would work. Um, but I think, I think it's getting better at least for the air force from what I've experienced. Um, but as far as, you know, taking the PT test, you know, especially for women, it can, it can be complicated to try to do sit-ups after your postpartum and your like, your abdomen is not the same anymore. Um, and trying to figure that out and how that looks, you know, I know that's a huge huge challenge, challenge and a big push um, for the military to kind of get right. And they have changed up some movements. Um, some of the, like the army has also changed up their PT test completely to do more of like a, a functional fitness type of test as well. Yeah, I think so, there's like
1: deadlifts in there too. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which yeah. is kind of crazy. I I don't even want to think about like what that looks like in execution. (laughs) Um, Just like the old CrossFit inside of me is just like, Oh my gosh, that is scary. Um, But yeah. So, so like for the air force, we've definitely changed things up, but also, you know, we have, you can, right now you can either do a minute of sit-ups or you can do a three minute plank. And like, in my mind, I'm just like, absolutely not. That is not a swap. (laughs) Like, that is not, i even much
1: cool. rather do the sit ups.
2: Right. But, but at the same time, like, some people can't do those sit ups. So, they are coming out mm-hmm. with new options for that and like just trying to make it a little bit more, um, like, more people can do the PT test and not have to take a waiver all the time. Right. And, you know, it's, I think there's a lot of opinions on it as well. But I definitely think personally, like, hey, if you can perform your fitness test in a similar manner, Then do that. Like it's not as long as you can, you know, do the basic things, and you can show that you're fit enough. Like I said, for my people, that's good for me.
1: Yeah. Well, the issue was like I I'd have you know clients and they were strong and in shape and they could pass the Mm -hmm. fitness test and they had muscle. And the thing is, it's like it wasn't taken to account. Like, hey, we have muscle mass and. you're just looking at this measurement, especially like, I think when some of the measurements were like hips and stuff like that. And like women mm-hmm. also have like naturally wider hips and things like that. It was just, just didn't make any sense.
2: Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's just, they've taken that. Well, actually they took that away because of COVID. It wasn't anything to do with like, I mean, I think once they took it away with COVID, it was like, Oh, we can't get close to you to like measure your waist. Like, we'll get COVID if we do that. So we're not going to do that anymore. We're just going to take regular tests or whatever. And then they they stopped doing it and now they removed it completely. But that that's how it started. I think that's what like sparked it, which is actually, which is kind of interesting. Like it wasn't actually the fact that it was silly, but it was COVID.
1: <laughs> it sounds like there was no reason for it to exist. They just, right? you know, it was like kind of arbitrary. Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. We don't even need that. But yeah, no, I definitely had a lot of friends who would be like, oh yeah, I know I'm going to like, you know, and that, that also led to like really terrible habits for people two months into their PT test. They'd be like, all I can eat is salads and chicken because I need my waist to be smaller. And then they go into their PT test, like a ghost they haven't eaten. Mm -hmm. Like I, one morning I was at a PT test with some kid and he was like, yeah, I literally haven't eaten in two days because I need to pass this waist measurement. And I was like, what? Like, you're not going to pass this test, bro. Like, what? How are you going to run without food in your belly? And this, is just like, why are we, like, breeding those habits? Like, what? What is that waist measurement actually doing for us? You know,
0: Kate, did you guys get a lot of nutritional advice, or because I would think anyway? And this is like the coming from the background of nutrition, it would make sense to me that if I was making you know, a program that people are going through or, you know, we're going through boot camp that with that physical training, it would totally make sense to me that there would be like complimentary nutrition guidance, even just from a very basic level. Um, did you guys receive any sort of nutrition stuff? We had like a team of, doctors
2: i guess you would say kind of in a way um that would kind of like talk to us about that stuff in like very 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 generic terms but there was never a time where we were like hey this is like your nutritional training that you need and like this is how it was more like hey these are the pillars of health like physical mental spiritual and like this is how you make them a happy balance in your life and that's how we looked at it but it was very rare like maybe it would be like a morale day or something that someone would do a little like Intro to nutrition or something, you know, like something silly, but there were never any guidelines for us specifically. Now, you have to also understand that like I was never out in the field doing things. And it's different for, you know, when you're actually doing combat training, there are, you know, they're looking at like, hey, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of MREs, but like the meal. Oh, yeah. Meals. Yeah, those things. um, For like the military, they're like specifically standardized to be like 1200 calories each. You're supposed to eat three of them a day to have a balanced diet because you're supposed to burn this many calories when you're out on the field. Military, think standardized things. Every single person is exactly the same. And if you're a man, this is how many calories you burn. And if you're a female, this is how many calories you burn. And that's what it's based on, you know, and it, it can't really be more nuanced than that because You know, there's bigger things to worry about. We just need you to be sustained for the mission, get the mission done, come back, and then you can deal with your food later, you know?
0: Interesting. So I think a good follow-up question is, since we're kind of on the topic of PT testing, let's assume that you're working with somebody that they don't know what a macro is. They've never weighed or measured a thing in their life. What nutrition advice would you kind of give them for that week of like, let's say the PT test is on a Saturday, what really basic like tips or suggestions would you give them nutrition wise for that week? You're not going to train for your PT test the week
2: of like, you got to already be prepared for it. You shouldn't be training like you need to be kind of just like chilling. And yeah, sure. Like maybe lift a few days, get like basic like movement in, go for a jog or whatever. But like even though the PT test isn't truly difficult, the adrenaline rush that you feel for that test, I'll tell you what, and you can ask anyone, it is like none other. And just like preparing for that in advance is huge. And making sure you're eating stuff that one, you know, sits in your stomach really well, and you're used to eating, like, dude, don't, Try a new recipe the week before your PT test or like anything like that because that is not like that is not the time to like go eat Indian food or like have like some random new <laughs> restaurant. Like, trust no, me, Chipotle you do not. and <laughs> yeah, no, that is not the move right there. So, like, things like keeping it super duper simple and just like super bland is what I always tell people like, hey, cook all your food this week, be like, don't be drinking alcohol. Get some sleep this week, like literally the most basic of basic things. But like, I guarantee most people in the military are not doing those things on a regular basis because I'm pretty sure like at least the Air Force, my side of the Air Force, like runs on caffeine and between coffee and energy drinks, like that is a food group in our side of the world. So like, trust me, like just telling people like, hey, before your PT test, like I really think you should try to sleep for eight hours a night. They'd be like, what? Um, you know, and like things like that and just like really keeping it simple. Um, but like the night before your test, you know, eating something that we always talk about in like pre-workout nutrition, like having a solid dinner, you don't need to like eat a huge pasta dinner that's probably not the move. Like at the end of the day you're only running a mile and a half, right? So like you don't need to like carb load for this. It's going to be like 12 minutes of your life, like you'll be okay. And then um the next morning beforehand just getting, you know, making sure that you have fast digesting carbs in your stomach and I always tell people to make sure that you have like your little starburst or your little candy with you because having that little burst of energy like right before you between like doing push-ups and sit-ups, and then going for your run, like that has been a huge game changer for me, and something that like I I don't think people really pay attention to. Even though the PT workout is only like a 20 minute event total, like having that little burst of energy is will change your life. I promise you.
1: I had a follow up question about the MREs. Have you ever eaten an MRE, Kate? Okay.
2: Yeah, I have. Um,
1: what was what your What was your thoughts on that? <laughs>
2: So when I was in like my basic uh, my basic training as an officer, um, we had to eat like one MRE a day. And like, we all thought it was like really fun and cool and stuff like the first time. And then it got to the point where it was just like, Oh my gosh. And then we would be like trading the MREs and stuff, but like at our training, they would always take the good stuff out of them. Um, like the candy and things like that, because we were like in training or whatever. Um, so like we could never eat the good stuff out of them, which was fine. But like, yeah, I, uh, it, you know, it was, it was what it was again. I was just so like in a daze that I didn't even notice. And like I said earlier, when you're in the military, like, and doing stuff like actual training or like in combat or something like that, the last thing that you care about is like, what is in your meal that day? You're just like, I just need calories and like, give them to me immediately. Now, would I eat like an MRE? Like, I know they sell like, civilian MREs now for survival things and stuff like that. And like, no, I would not buy those. Like, I'm good.
1: Have you you ever seen, have you ever seen on YouTube MRE Steve? Have you ever watched that channel? No. There's a guy, there's a guy who, who literally like, will eat MREs from all over the, all over the world. Like, he will review them and it's like, he almost takes like a very like, um you know how people like, like sip wine and like talk about all the flavors and stuff in there. He like <laughs> does that with MREs. You should check it out. I think you would, I will, yeah. I think you would get a kick out of it. Yeah. MRE yeah. Steve on YouTube.
2: <laughs> I will have to. I th- That sounds like something that people would watch like during work when there's downtime and just be like, oh, look or at like, this. Or like can't sleep defense. at night
1: and you have insomnia. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh,
2: yeah. Let me watch yeah. MRE Steve. No, I will definitely check <laughs> that out. <laughs>
0: Kate, so your boyfriend just got back from deployment. And so I had a question about if you had any thoughts or could give any advice regarding just navigating relationship stuff in terms of staying in touch, ways of feeling connected, and just not feeling lonely, you know, helping the time pass. Uh, What advice or what? thoughts would you give to someone if they were like about to you know go down the journey that is deployment with a significant other
2: yeah um so so one um i think something really important for us and something that made it a lot easier for us is the fact that i have been in the military and i you know i know what he does in his job for a lot of military spouses and significant others. It's really hard because most people in the military have a, a clearance and you can't talk about your job in any way, shape or form, which, you know, is a fat is a situation for both of us. We can't talk about it, but we know what each other does because we like, we understand that thing. Like we've been through it. We, we get it. Um, I know what he does. He knows what I do. And we have that connection in that way. So, you know, when he was gone, he was able to still talk to me and be like, Hey, like today was a really hard day because X, Y, and Z not giving away any details, but being able to be like, Hey, you know what I mean when I say like this was a really hard day and sure, you know, you can have those little like connections with your friends and stuff like that. And like your significant other and try to like understand them. But until you really know like what they're talking about and have like looked at stuff and looked at, you know, looked at things um and seen it like you don't really know what they're talking about and being able to connect that way can be really hard especially for the deployed member and having to navigate that of like hey I can't just like vent anything to you because I can't talk to you about anything right and that's that can be extremely difficult. Um, for us, I would say it was a little bit easier because you know we had been long distance when we met. So we were kind of used to like the FaceTime life and like those kind of things. Um, We were long distance for almost a year when we had first met. So that was kind of similar um, to how that went. And then when he left, we had been living together for like three months. So it was really just like, it was kind of like we were just staying with each other and like having a good time and like whatever. And then, you know, we, he left and that was, we just dove right into it. Right. And it was, you know, we had talked before he had left and been like, Hey, you know, these are the things that I need from you. And these are the things that you need from me. And how can we make that work while you're gone? And how can we, you know, set aside time for each other and things like that. And it just turned into like, Hey, for me, I have control of my schedule. So I will make sure that I'm available at the times that you need me to be available to talk to you because you don't have control like that. And, you know, every deployment is really, really different. For me, we were able to FaceTime every day, but that's not the case for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people in the Navy or something like that can only email because maybe they're on a ship or something different where they don't have cell service all the time, right? We were really lucky that, you know, yeah, maybe Max had to sleep in a tent, but we at least got to talk to each other every single day and be in touch every day. And that was something that I think made it so much easier to get through um, and just be able to at least even if it was only for five minutes a day, we were able to talk to each other and tell, you know, talk about our day and update each other. It wasn't like, you know, I had to wait for emails and I like literally didn't see his face for x amount of time you know it was it was a constant like hey you know we could he would tell me like when he was taking off and when he was landing and i knew like what was going on a little bit in that way you know and i could think about that so that made it that in my case was very lucky i don't know how it would have been you know if you can only correspond via email once a week something like that
1: do you guys like figure out um in terms of like where you guys are stationed? Do you guys do that together or?
2: Max's job is really limited. So we don't get a lot of choice in that. Mm -hmm. For my job, I could basically go anywhere. And I was lucky enough to know, you know, I went from Texas to Hawaii to um, Illinois slash St. Louis area. And I was really lucky. And now um, my unit is actually in Maryland. I work part-time now, which is really, really difficult because I live in New Mexico. And so once a month, basically my responsibilities now are to fly from New Mexico to Maryland on my own dime so that I can serve and do my duties uh, part-time, which is something that has been like, you know, to be fair, I, I joined this unit before I met Max. So like, I didn't do it. Like this was like part of my life already. And it was something that I was willing to sacrifice to do that because you know, with the military, like you don't get to choose these type of things. And like, yes, I could choose to live near Maryland to make that my job. But like, what else would I be giving up in that sense? So it's worth it to me to, you know, do that flight back and forth. But it's it's a lot. I will tell you that flying and doing that and, you know, working full time during the week, and then also going once a month to do drill weekends, that has been like a total game changer in my routine and my life. And just like, trying to adjust to that in general has been a lot
1: you don't have to answer that this is too personal but i'm just curious how did y'all meet like how did um, y'all actually make up
2: yeah so we actually met at a mandatory air force school um so basically like when you're about like five four to five years in um you all of the people at our rank go to school together for a month and just like It's exactly what you think it is. Um, (laughs) You're in in school. Yeah, that's great. But for the most part, like you're just hanging out with a bunch of people your age that are in the Air Force networking, having a blast, like super fun. And Max and I were in the same class. And it was like literally like, I know it sounds so lame, but it was like we masks and everything during COVID, like locked eyes. And that that was it. That oh really snap! Yeah.
1: <laughs> who are right, who made who made the first move though?
2: Um, Max definitely made the first move. He was
1: like, "Okay." <laughs> he uh, he's like, "I see you, girl. I see you." <laughs> he told
2: me he was like, one night he was like, "Hey, um, you know, our whole class would like go out to eat and stuff, and like do fun things or whatever." And the one night I was like, "Hey, do you know what what everyone's doing tonight?" And he was like, "Yeah, you and I are going to Texas Roadhouse," and I was like. Oh,
1: Max got game, bro! Yep.
2: And I was like, I was like, yeah, we are, let's do it. And then after that, that was, you know, the rest was history, right uh, there.
1: Texas nice Roadhouse,
2: yeah. And then it's with funny the, with the
1: bread, the right? the all oh, that bread.
2: Oh. You well, know, he he had never been there before, which I was like, how? Like, if you live in America, how have you never been there? But it was funny because you know we had like driven past it the one night while we were with our other group and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, Texas Roadhouse. They don't have those in Hawaii. I haven't been to one of those in so long. I need to go there. And then he was like, oh, hint, got it. Like, there we go. And then like where we live now, one of the only restaurants that is here that just got built was Texas Roadhouse. And we were like, it was meant to be. It was truly (laughs) meant to be.
1: He won you over with the cinnamon butter, man. It was was the cinnamon
0: butter all the way. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Lori, have you ever been to a Texas Roadhouse?
0: I was actually about to say that because, I mean, I lived in Texas 10
1: years. Oh, well, that's a big chain. They're Clues. everywhere, man. Yeah. yeah. The,
0: the closest I think I've been would be like Outback Steakhouse. But like they didn't, didn't mm. have that in my tiny little Midwest hometown. But yeah, you know, it's like once I moved to Texas, I was not going to you know, I, I mean,
1: like, I, I know you don't do gluten and dairy, but those Texas Roadhouse Rolls are worth dying for
2: yeah. <laughs> their work worth a short a short night of death
0: basically a pain, yes,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
0: absolutely i am dead uh kate do you have you had a lot of experience because since you haven't uh done a ton of deployments and stuff personally have you worked with a lot of clients who have because in my personal experience, obviously, every single uh, deployment is just so different. But it's like it the nutrition stuff is so hard to navigate through because I remember I had a client in Japan that wherever she was, it was like quite litter. if you went to uh, the store and stuff like that, it'd be like, well, um, one orange is going to cost you like 10 American dollars or same thing. It was um, this was a client way back in the day, but essentially there just wasn't access to meat, And so you were pretty much vegetarian or vegan. So um, I don't know if you're able to give any tips on just kind of navigating nutrition stuff during deployment. But if you happen to have anything, we'd love to take it.
2: I think deployments are a really unique time for people because it gives you a chance to like legitimately just focus on yourself because that's really all you can do. Like you're there to do the mission. But besides that, like all you can do is focus on you and what you want to do, which is kind of cool because if you want to achieve a specific goal, like you can carve out time for that because you, you literally have nothing else to do with your time, right? You're not when you're home and you're working, you know, you have all of this list of things that you have to do. But when you're deployed, like your, your main purpose in life is just whatever your job is. And then your time off is just to recover from that, whatever you just did and go back to it. So I think it's a really unique time, um, and gives you an opportunity to really focus on one thing if that's what you want to do. But as far as, you know, nutrition goes, It's really hard because sometimes your food is completely controlled for you and you don't have, you can't just like go out and buy something at the store and just cook it. You're not cooking. You're going, you know, you might not even have a dining facility, right? It really depends on what location you're at. You know, if you can get mail consistently, you know, one thing that Max really relied on is I would send him like these care packages every week or every two weeks that would just be filled with like protein bars and like food that they wouldn't have at the dining hall and like just snacks that he could take with him in the plane and things like that. Because, you know, depending... you don't know what the refrigeration is going to be like. You can't just take a meal from the dining hall to save for later. Like maybe they're having chicken and rice tonight and you're like, I need to load up on this because I don't know when they're going to serve it again. But like, what if you don't have a fridge? And you also like can't sometimes take that to work with you, you know? So it's, it's really unique and dependent on the person. And I think like the one thing that a deployment gives you is routine and something that you can actually stick to. So if you do want to achieve a goal, like if you wanted to do a cut or you wanted to do like a surplus or something like that, a deployment is the place to do it because like you have no distractions whatsoever, but like you just got to go to work and then eat your food and work out. That's it. And like, that's a great opportunity to be able to take advantage of that stuff. But also, you know, if someone comes to me and they're a nutrition client and they're like, Hey, I'd love for you to be my coach while I'm deployed. I usually will be like, hey, we can give it a shot, but I don't think you're going to need me. I don't think it's worth it for you. Let me help you find a good schedule and a routine that does make sense. But after that, like just cruise through it because you don't need someone holding you accountable when all you have like Mondays, they have this on the menu. Tuesdays, they have this Wednesdays, they have it like, you know, you, you don't have a lot of control and that can be really challenging, but also a blessing in disguise, I think
0: do most places when you're deployed do most of the locations would you have access to some sort of training facility obviously you know they might look different it wouldn't be like strolling into lifetime but <laughs> is it pretty standard for the deployment locations for you to have access to some sort of gym yeah
2: like the main hubs um the main like deployed sites usually have a gym and honestly the deployed sites make it a pretty pretty good priority to keep like training facilities because working out is really important um, for the military in general. And just like to keep your sanity, I would say, Um, you know, Max was at a site that like isn't huge um, and is is kind of like remote, um, but he did still have a gym there. Now, you know, if you're like really, really remote um, in certain circumstances or whatever, like obviously you're, you're probably not going to have a gym, but you're moving. It's like forward basing. Um, I don't know the exact word. Don't come at me people, but when you're moving (laughs) to like a more remote location, like you can definitely, um, you might not have a gym, but still most places you will.
1: Definitely enjoyed, um, this conversation, especially I learned a a good, a a good about a good deal about, uh, you know, fueling for endurance um, that was a very interesting, especially with how you approach it, like with your clients. I think that was very uh, insightful. And, you know, I I work with people that do endurance training as well. Now I'm taking, I was taking notes about like how to approach things. So sure. I love it. We all learn, we all can learn from each other. That's the beauty right? about all this stuff. Yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. And just really like figuring out like what works best for some people, doesn't work very good for other people either, right? But it's good to just be like, hey, this worked for me. So like, maybe you could try it. And like, that's always what I tell my clients too. It's like, hey, I'm not promising you that this could work for you. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, where can people find you if they're interested in nutrition coaching? It might be helpful to specifically share your favorite types of clients to work with. Uh, But where can people find you?
2: Yeah, so best place to find me. I just really love connecting with people one-on-one and getting to know people. So like, follow me on Instagram at Kate underscore, underscore Eli. Sorry, the one underscore was taken. And like, if you put two E's next to each other, it sounds weird. So don't come at me for like double underscores, but yeah, shoot me a DM and message me because any person that wants to sign up for coaching with me, I'm automatically going to you into a video call with me so we can talk one-on-one and actually get to know each other. Um, And I do that through my website, which is just kenutrition.com. Super easy. Um, My favorite people to work with are people that are trying to accomplish like a big milestone goal, like, you know, endurance training or, hey, like, I really want to get good at this new hobby. I want to get good at hiking. I want to do this. I want to learn how to fuel my body to do
0: X, Y, and Z. Boom. Awesome. Thank you, Kate. All
2: she wrote. Thank <laughs> you, Kate. Well, thanks,
1: guys. This was super fun. Yo, if you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd really love if you'd share this episode, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find LCK on Instagram at Lori Christine King and Lori Christine King.com. And also follow me at Alex Q Macklin on Instagram and AlexMacklin.com. You can also check out Paragon Training Methods for fun and effective workout programs to help you build muscle, enhance your physique, and look and feel great in just 30 to 60 minutes a day. We have nine different evidence-based workout programs, and you'll have the freedom to work out when you want, where you want, and how you want. Whether you're working out from home or at a gym, there's fun and effective options for all goals, all skill levels, and time constraints. As a member of Paragon, you'll have the access to our amazing training app, online fitness community, and tons of free nutrition and fitness resources. LCK, Brian, and the Paragon coaches will be there every step of the way to help answer your questions, correct your lifting form, and help you work sustainably towards your goals.